0: Good afternoon, Todd.
1: Good
2: afternoon. Oh. I don't know what's going on. Hello, Count Dracula. On. What's
0: going on? Oh, what is going gosh. on?
2: What is going on? I just got back late last night from Alaska. I was on a ship. I debuted as the magic maker in Magic to Do, the Stephen Schwartz review on board Princess Cruises. And I can yes. now say I am a professionally employed singing magician.
0: Oh my gosh, isn't that the best thing that's ever happened? It
2: is. It's the hardest, hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It was so much concentration. I think my brain has just actually shut off.
0: Really? I mean, (laughs) I can imagine. There's a lot. You have to dance and sing and and magic.
2: And magic and act and get out of really, really tight, claustrophobic boxes oh and there's so many like when i saw the show i was like how do they do that and then learning that it's actually really simple okay well like, you're
0: not supposed to tell us but it's simple
2: it was simple it was uh, not simple like it takes skill mm-hmm. but it was a lot easier than i thought it well I you gotta of.
0: i mean they need to leave some room for you to be able to sing and dance and i guess so act. i mean if but they it's, put it's pretty too cool much I'm excited. I can't wait to finally see it some point. Whether that's virtually, yeah, or you come like, on a cruise, or I'll just come. I mean, it's like you do it one night out of the week, or yeah. is it? They don't. Yeah, they don't no, force you into these small spaces no, every night. I okay. do. So
2: I do my own concert in the main theater, and then I do this show in the main theater. This show it takes a lot to build. It's a lot of moving parts. The crew is usually up all night building the set.
0: Oh, wow. This is quite the production. It's
2: quite the production. Yeah. Well, it was overseen by Mr. Schwartz, who wrote Wicked. Yeah. So. Well,
0: did you have you met him?
2: Oh, several times. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Oh, yeah, Very nice guy.
0: Just uh, always uh, meet, Just running into him all the time. You guys uh, go to lunch. He's
2: great.
0: Well, great. that's awesome.
2: What have you been up to?
0: Well, most recently, it was my birthday, Happy which was birthday. nice. Thank you. And also, my Wonderful. One of my best friends, Tiffany, got married. And so we had a full weekend of festivities for that. And it was lovely. And I am, you know, just been mostly recovering from the excitement of all of that and kind of excited that the school year is coming to a close. And, Great. you know, summer, summer is upon us. So that's Do really- your kids
2: go to camps?
0: Yeah, they've got a, a variety of different kind of camps. It's weird how some camps and stuff, they're very strict about age groups and like so Isabel can go to a lot, but Logan can't. And so they're both, you know, there's a couple that overlap, but yeah, they're gonna be in and out, in and out of so camp. They
2: can't really go to a camp together. They have to go to different camps.
0: Yes, basically. Other than like oh. vacation bible school and stuff like that where it's oh, multi ages, right. but as a whole, yeah, they're going to be, you know, there'll be lots of group activities. I'm sure. I foresee a lot of water park visits, and yeah. then they are also going to Carowinds. So,
2: oh, jealous.
0: I know. I mean, I'm I'm actually not going. I'm going to be in Napa, so they're jealous. Going, yes, I'm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know which one you should be jealous of, but
2: both. Yeah, drinking or roller coasters. Yeah, or well, drinking a, with roller coasters.
0: Oh my gosh! Right. <laughs> Maybe we need a. That's what Napa needs is a roller coaster, you know.
2: Yeah, speaking of roller coasters, I'm going to Universal Studios Hollywood this weekend.
0: <gasps> I am so jealous I'm going of to that. Super
2: Mario, the new Super Mario World.
0: Oh, have you seen the new new movie? No, the I really, one? Oh, you I really want to see it, it to get right, ready. It's great.
2: A lot of people have seen it in 3D out here.
0: Oh. Well, I'm, yeah, we've not done that, but we have seen it since we bought it. Now, I think we're on the seventh or eighth watch, so.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. That's what we look forward
0: to as a parent (laughs) is that you will never forget anything because you watch it 800 times
2: true I'm sure and you know there's a frozen three coming out get ready for that
0: shit. <laughs> well I'm excited for that I actually am always like can we watch frozen two today and Isabelle's yeah. like I'm just over it you know like and when is the third one gonna come out I'm like well here it is here's the promise
2: and you know Adina's gonna have to do another another song yeah it was let it go and then into the unknown and now unknown, what's the gotta love that thing? song. The next I just gonna...
0: got goosebumps just thinking about oh. it God, I'm going to write movies. another epic,
2: epic song for her. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. Well, we have a terrific guest on today. He was just delightful and very insightful. His name is Richard Struther, and he was just great.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think, in general, you know, his occupation, if you will, is coaching people that are widowed, or mostly widowers. But I think that if everybody kind of goes into this with the thought process that this is all very applicable to anybody that is in the dating scene or in a relationship or, you know, just bringing to the forefront what's important in life. I mean, I feel like he really was awesome about, you know, just reminding us that every day is not promised. So would you tell us a little bit about him?
2: Absolutely. Richard Struther, now also known as the widower's wingman, has a unique background that blends his former career in computer graphics and print with his passion for psychology and human behavior. This led to eight years as a trainer at Apple, helping people relate and prosper with their technology. Richard understands how people learn, retain, and relate to information. In October 2018, Richard experienced a life-altering tragedy when he lost his wife of 20 years. Working through his grief, he found the courage to start dating again and eventually found a wonderful new relationship. Along the way, he refined his process and methodology for successful dating, testing it with several people and seeing amazing results. Through his journey, Richard saw a gap in resource for widowed men and founded the widower's wingman. As a speaker, Richard shares his personal story of love and loss, along with practical insights and advice for those navigating the dating world after the loss of a spouse. His approach is grounded in research and tested through personal experience, making him a compelling and relatable speaker for just about any audience. Without further ado, we give you Richard Struther.
0: All right, well, good afternoon, Richard.
1: Good afternoon. Hey, Welcome hey. to the
0: show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: We are delighted. How are you doing this lovely afternoon in Canada, correct?
1: I am in Canada. Yes. What part of Canada? I'm in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, so more towards the east. You know, oh, great lovely city. Lovely
0: area. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah.
1: Are you bilingual? I am, actually.
0: All right. Well, Richard, before we get into the nitty-gritty, could you give us a little background about yourself, kind of where you're from and generally what brought you to where you are today?
1: All right. So, I was born and raised here in Montreal. And I started my careers in graphics, actually. I wanted to do like special effects and that because I was always about how people kind of perceive. And I got into graphics. Graphics were easy. I was a graphic technician. Anything a graphic designer could do, I could do through production. And then I got into much more about how people see the information or how we can make it more efficient, how people learn, how people are motivated. And then it became relationship with information, relationship with technology, became a trainer for Apple for eight years. And after that, I coached a little bit for healthy and effective use of technology. And now I'm, now I'm helping people find their love, which is actually the same skill set, but the technology helps. I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, that was the kind of rundown, but (laughs) (laughs) no, that's great. great yeah yeah that's
2: great. Well, we're here today to mostly discuss your experience of unfortunately losing your wife, dating again, and the creation of the widower's Wingman. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about how you met your wife and what your life together was like before her passing, and what was she like?
1: Oh, so let's start off with she was a force of nature, she was amazing. We had several overlaps in our circle of friends. Like, we had several circles of friends that overlapped. And it was really, really neat, but we never met each other. And for several years, our friends overlapped. And then one day, I was invited to this Yule party. And she wasn't invited, but one of our friends, one of our mutual friends, decided that they wanted to bring her. So they did. And we saw each other at the party. And the first thought to go through both of our heads this was confirmed afterwards by several parties, because we told other people about our experience. But the first thing in, that occurred to both of us was, it's you. It wasn't, oh, she's cute, oh, you know, he he looks like a nice guy. No, no, it was, oh, it's you. After that party, we didn't see each other for about a month and a half, because I had to go traveling. And then I came back and I saw her. She was studying photography at the largest Sejap here, and or Sejap is college, basically. She was studying photography and I ran into her again and I said, are you hungry? Let's go out for some, you know, let's go out and grab something for lunch. And we did. And that was the first date by May of that year. It was about early February, May, we decided it was serious and we were going steady as it were. And after that, we moved in together not too long after that, because her parents lived on the other side of town, like ah. way out, you know, uh-huh. the other side of town. And She would have to travel like an hour and a half to two hours to school, you know, And it was just like, I live down the street, (laughs) just move in with me. It'll make things easier. So we did, and we got along really, really well. We had a lot of fun. We were two kids kind of figuring it out and we didn't get married until 10 years in. Mm. We always planned to, we always wanted to, but it never really worked. The timing wasn't right. Nobody was on board, this, that. And then January 2008, January 1st, 2008, New Year's day, we were like, hey this year has August 8th, 2008. This sounds like a really cool opportunity. And we decided. And from that moment, everybody got on board. Everybody just tuned in and got the assignment and everybody just ran with it. And so we got married August 8th, 2008. And that was the beginning of our marriage.
0: That's lovely. And y'all, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you were kind of kindred spirits, you know, especially if you just see each other and think, you know, it's, it's you, you, so, and then, you know, to still be together 10 years in to then get married, you, you waited a very adequate amount of time <laughs> to figure out <laughs> yes. if you'd be compatible or not. So, I guess, you know, unfortunately, she did end up being diagnosed with cancer. So, how did y'all receive that diagnosis, and how did you both kind of handle it, both as a couple or, and individually?
1: So, one of the big things with us is we were both very much about living with intention. So, this prefaces what's to come. August 2008, we got married. January 2009, every time she goes out, she runs it. Like, the smallest amount of activity would run her energy out in a heartbeat. Like, she had to stop and catch her breath. And so we were like, okay, this isn't right. We know this isn't right. She had been like, I'm just tired. I'm just this. I'm just that. No, no. We know something's wrong. So we went to a clinic where they took her vitals seven times. The doctor said, no. Wrote down a note. He said, did you come with anybody? Yes, my husband. Bring him in. He comes in, he goes, take this note, go out the door, down the hall, grab the first taxi you see, do not go and get lunch, do not do anything, do not pass go. do not collect $200, go directly to the general hospital and show them this note, which we did. And so it's that she had anemia, but like severely anemic. So basically they were like, yeah, no, there's something wrong. Admit you right away. It's a teaching hospital. We had the parade of students going, you know, how did you get here? Like, I walked in. It's like, how are you walking? How are you even functional? Oh, wow. That's how anemic. Like, we're supposed to be about 120. She was at 47. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, 37. And 32 is like, that's yeah. it, you know? Yeah. So, anyway, long story short, yes, they figured out what was causing it. It was a bleed. The bleed is caused by cancer. The cancer has already spread. And we were like, okay we live with intention. How are we going to deal with it? We're going to we're going manage this as best we can. And the interesting part is that because it was a rare cancer, it wasn't the normal coming to the hospital, do the chemo while sitting in a chair and a drip. It was, here's a pill, mm. take it twice a day. And that's that. And we have to figure out the dosage and this and that. And, but it was a matter of more dealing with the side effects and just kind of going, okay, how do we make the most of life? And that was always our attitude. And we had the house rules that made it easier, but I can talk about that. What was the type of cancer, did you say? It was gastrointestinal stromal tumor. Okay. okay. So of the people who will be diagnosed with cancer, nine out of a million will be diagnosed with this type, and then there's even a rare form of that. Oh, okay. wow.
2: Do they know how it's caused? Do they know if it's hereditary or if it's like...
1: There's a high genetic component. Oh, mm. wow. Wow.
0: So did y'all know like exactly kind of how much time you had, or was it... It so was, okay. It was very up actually, in the air.
1: Well, it's because it's supposed to be highly treatable, and it is to an extent, but the medications are not perfect. Your body gets used to them. They become less effective. Eventually, they fail. You have to go on to something else. The second round, the second type of treatment she got was absolutely, like, wrecked her. like yeah. destroyed parts of her. You know, Destroyed parts of her kidneys, liver, that thing. And then they got her on the third line, and that sort of worked, but not as well, and then the defining moment, though, was we went to Walmart. We were doing our you know weekly grocery shopping, all of that. We get in the car, and she suddenly started turning on her own. And you could tell it was not a voluntary thing. And I was like, oh, no, that's neurological involvement. And I, I understand the medicine well enough. I was like, that's neurological. So we called an ambulance. We go in. This is a gut cancer. It was on the pancreas, to the stomach, to the liver. So they don't look at the brain. It never goes to the brain. Well, it never goes to the brain. They don't look for it to go to the brain, mm-hmm. but it did. So they had to fix that, and that led to an infection. So an infection goes, antibiotics. antibiotics and cancer treatment do not mix. You cannot. They will cancel each other out. So you have a choice. You can literally lose your mind but control the cancer or fix the brain and let the cancer run rampant. And we're talking six months at least. Oh, wow. So that makes a huge difference. And that was the choice. So you know, yeah. the writing's on the wall at that point. You know, you, you know, it's a matter of you're just managing. You're managing catastrophe at that point.
2: Well, when you were managing catastrophe, how did taking care of your wife change your relationship with her and your life as a whole?
1: You know, taking care of somebody at that level, it's you take it day by day and you mm-hmm. deal with what's in front of you. And we had one other thing again, this live with intention thing. I should also mention, by the way, that after getting diagnosed originally, Sam was like, "I really want to go back and get my degree in art history," mm. and she did. Not only did she go and get her bachelor's, she got her master's while she was while, while she was being treated. Yeah, it's yeah. oh amazing. Goodness. That's it awesome. Was incredible. She presented her thesis a good seven times. You know, it was it was incredible. Wow. And, you know, even with the treatment, even with everything that was happening to her, she refused to let it limit her any more than she absolutely had to. So force of nature. She was so she incredible. was strong.
2: She was oh. a strong willed human. You said she was a force of nature, but hearing that that she went and got two degrees (laughs) while she's going through this horrific cancer. I mean, that's just that's inspiring on its own.
1: And an advocate and ran her own business and was in touch with all the researchers and doctors in the, you know, LifeRAF group and you know, an advocate through and through and oh yeah, no, she was she was a force of nature, all right. Well,
0: you mentioned, like, I think, you know, earlier a little bit, and and I've heard you talk about it a little bit, y'all had these four kind of house rules. The house rules. In your house. And I think we'd like to hear those, but also how, if you maintain those throughout this whole thing.
1: Oh, I absolutely maintain. These are now my rules for life. (laughs) But I tell you, it was even early on, way before the cancer, we always had the three house rules are no drama, no bullshit. Because there's enough drama in life. We don't Mm -hmm. make any more. Wait a minute.
2: You got to expand on that. No (laughs) bullshit. What is that? For the (laughs) listeners out there, what is no drama, no bullshit? Because everybody defines bullshit very different ways. Trust.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Life throws enough drama at us. Uh Don't make more. Mm, Amen. Amen. The no bullshit goes to the second one, which is say what you mean and mean what you say. Mm, Love that. Sam was super about integrity. I mean, even if it would hurt her, she would fulfill a promise. Like she would not make promises lightly. The other thing that was really important about the second rule was say what you mean, mean what you say. We were very much about that. She would rather an unpleasant truth than a pretty lie that turns into something later. Let's deal with it head on, straight up. Let's go. And the last one, never do we lose our sense of humor. And I mean, right up until the day she died, never do we lose our sense of humor.
0: And how did y'all maintain that during what seems like a crazy time?
1: <laughs> I'm not saying the humor didn't get dark. I do enjoy <laughs> me some dark humor. And trust me, you want to see some dark humor, go to a cancer retreat. You have oh, never seen such incredible dark humor. <laughs>
0: I mean, you got to laugh to keep oh, yeah. yourself from crying too. So, I mean, I think overall, I think those are important. I think that I'm going to write those down and put them just up at the house in general, because that applies in so many ways to so many things. And I think that's beautiful. And it's a great way, I think, of showing how, you know, y'all's alignment, even before this came along, would help you through what I'm sure was a very scary and
1: insane time. So... Well- Just to give you an idea, even before the cancer, the house rules, we had our own business. We had our own agency for six years where we were doing graphic design and photo retouching and whatnot. And we had our arguments. We were a great couple, but we had our arguments. And one day, Sam was, she was pissed with me. She was annoyed. But it was funny because the phone rang and I kid you not, without missing a beat, she picked up the phone. Hello? Yes, he's right here. It's for you. (laughs) (laughs) She passes me the phone not a peep. The call ends and she was like, now what do we have to deal with? <laughs> <laughs> Again, never do we lose our sense of humor. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, it just sounds like you guys were really in sync. So, you know, oh, yeah. with that kind of relationship, it's it's got, like I said, kind of got to be very scary. And just the mental aspect of all of it is so much in addition to the physical. So, how did you kind of handle the grief as it
1: loomed kind of before you and afterwards? So I love that you mentioned, as it loomed before you, because that was a big part for me. I have the benefit of understanding. Like, I could write you out the checklist of what was happening to her, and I could check them off as it happened. Like, I knew the medicine. So I lost parts of Sam before she actually, you know, before her body gave out. So the fact is, is I had to reimagine a life. I had to kind of go to the concept of, I really had to stick with the concept of take care of yourself. Because even before, when we didn't know when the next ER visit was, when we didn't know when the next four-day hospital stay was, when when she entered palliative care, like if I'm not at peak, I'm not there for her properly. So I had to take care of myself. And that's something that a lot of people who lose their loved ones, especially in that level of care, they let themselves go. And it becomes a pattern, it becomes a habit, and then they don't pick it up after they go. They, In often cases, they get worse.
2: Right, they can't see through the grief that's happening in the moment, right? They can't see through it, but it sounds like you knew that it was happening to you. I did. Yeah.
1: The other catch that I had that a lot of people may have trouble with is I had a strong sense of identity outside of the relationship. Mm. I knew who I was and I had purpose. My purpose, don't get me wrong, my purpose was to care for her and be there for her, but that wasn't my only purpose. And purpose plays a huge part in our life. It's, it's, I cannot state the sheer importance of knowing your place, having your purpose, and really kind of having something to drive you. Yeah. And that sense of identity to know that you know where you stand and that you like yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very important for every person out there. I mean, so many people almost go around looking for somebody else to complete them without knowing who they are. So that's, yeah, right there. I think exactly. that's very
1: important. I can't understand how much I talk about if you want to find a relationship, that's great, but never try and find a relationship to fill a void. It's about sharing a life fulfilled.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-mm.
0: Coming together as two individuals.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Well, how did you survive, or how did you feel about what you call the quote-unquote the carousel of people after her passing?
1: Oh, the, the carnival. Oh, so the carnival. The <laughs> <laughs> carnival, yes. Oh, yeah. No, Sorry. It, it, it's a carousel. No, no, it's a carousel. They Both apply. They, they work <laughs> forever. They work beautifully. No matter how grounded you are, no matter how much I had a sense of purpose, no matter how much I had support around me, and I really hope you guys never have to experience this, but we all experience it at some point, I believe. But there's only so much you can hear my condolences or I'm sorry. She had a rare form of cancer for nine years. By the end, she was not the person I knew. And it was almost kind of a mercy for the fact that if she could have lived without it, great. But it was almost a mercy that her body gave out when it did, that it didn't prolong for the sake of time, Mm -hmm. right? And not to say that, you know, I loved her enough to be able to say, yes, I understand and I don't want you to suffer. And that's, it is more important to me than, you know, having you around for the sake of having you around when your life is not about living with quality. Yeah. Right?
0: No, I mean, I I think if you haven't experienced it, it's a weird thing, I think, for other people to envision of like wanting, almost at a certain point, almost hoping for that person to be kind of
1: taken from their pain. And as to the carnival, it's... The awkwardness of everybody trying to help but nobody knowing how and everybody feeling Mm. awkward around you and the people who are close, the people who did know Sam, it's about helping them through their grief. And Mm -hmm. everybody comes out like there were people we didn't speak to for a few years at a time and then all of a sudden they're there and they're They're like, how can we help? How can we help? How can we help? How can we help? help?" It's like there's nothing to be done at this point. It's taken care of. This is – it runs its course. And then afterwards – it's amazing who you find left behind, who's still there beside you. And
2: Well, you said it was not nine years. When in those nine years did you guys go, quote unquote, public with it? When did you tell your family and friends that she was diagnosed?
1: So when she was diagnosed, we weren't public, public about it, but her family knew. My family didn't at the time. She wanted mm-hmm. to kind of keep that on down low. Mm-hmm. There was a time where she had to cut. Parts of her family off from the updates and info and whatnot. Why? Because it was getting invasive. Mm. Everybody has an opinion. (laughs) Almost beyond that, it was, there were people in her family who were telling everybody and their uncle and their uncle's dog about, you know, oh, well, her story and how tragic it was. Almost like it was their story. And it's like, I still have to live here. This is an island city. We build up It's a small city. We know people. Everybody knows every. Well, not everybody knows everybody. It's not quite a small town, but word gets around. You know, she's like, I still have a profession and a reputation to uphold, and I still have to, you're defining me by this when I refuse to. Mm. Yeah.
2: Oh, so she did not want the cancer to define her at all. Okay.
1: That's huge. She refused to let that be her identity or a big part of it. So when parts of her family kept kind of... Making that, and making it about them, she was like, mm, I love you, you are my family, I will talk to you about anything but, but you do not get updates, you do not get like, you get nothing mm-hmm. on that front. We informed my family a few years later, and then when she became really an advocate and whatnot, then it became, I mean, there's, it's public, there's no going around that. Well, yeah. Richard,
2: I feel like there was probably hills and valleys of hope, right? We're going to beat this. But even though you knew it was terminal, did you ever sort of want to give in to the hope that, oh, maybe this will turn around, maybe a miracle will happen?
1: There's always the hope, more so with what she had. Because with a rarer cancer, it's not like you just go to a hospital and you see a generic oncologist. You see specialists. And right. the specialists, when it's a rarer cancer, know the researchers in the GIST community, there's maybe about 20 specialists and researchers worldwide who are working exclusively on this. Mm -hmm. So you get to meet the people who are making the advancements and you learn in depth how this works and what the treatments are and what the advancements are and whatnot. And sure, there was hope of, you know, we can hold it back longer, we can treat it more effectively, that we can, it's just over the horizon. But it's just as in most things, It's always just over the horizon. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of really for us, it was, we knew it was going to be a decline. It was just a matter of how subtle can we make that slope? Mm -hmm. And how can we live quality over quantity and really make the most of every moment of life we could? And, you know, yes, we were not rolling in cash, but we took our opportunities where we could to go and travel and do things and, you know travel was yeah insurance was more expensive because there's a pre-existing condition, and it's active, or you know it, it's it's not in remission kind of thing, or it's yeah. not twelve you know it's not two years in remission or whatever, so is it tricky, yeah, do you find a way? yeah, yeah, it's really about living mm, and, and yeah. again identity and purpose and having something to move forward to to move towards
2: was she passionate about you maintaining your purpose?
1: Oh, most definitely. Yeah. So
2: so that wasn't just you. She was also sort of the live with intention thing. She wanted you to maintain your own identity while she was going through this.
1: Absolutely. Well, one of the things that was funny, we joked about it. It was actually a point of contention, but we approached it with humor more than anything else. When you work for a company like Apple or you're tech savvy, people ask you questions especially when you work for the company, right? So it's whenever we'd go to family gatherings or whatever, groups of friends or everything, it was always, hey, Rich, I have a question about my phone or I have a question about this. And she'd be like, do you really have to talk shop now? <laughs> <laughs> right. yep. But she knew that that's, I eat, sleep, live, breathe people in relationships and technology. So it made sense because it was just so much a part of who I was. And she acknowledged that. And it was almost like the kind of running joke between us. Yeah. But I was always supportive of her. And, you know, I would take time off work. to If she was presenting a thesis, I would take time off work to make sure that I was there. And I filmed a couple of them. And, you know, I made sure that she always had the support as much as I could give it.
0: Yeah. Well, it just seems like in general, the intention part is so important and that you guys were so on the same page about that. And that's beautiful. And I know from some of your other speaking engagements that she had given you her blessing to basically find love again at some point. So what point do you feel like you personally were ready to start dating again after her passing? And what was that like for you?
1: I love this question. There's a piece of advice that everybody, and I mean, but everybody will give you You lose somebody close, don't make any major decisions for one year. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, they're absolutely right. Because if you start trying to change everything, you wind up out of the frying pan into the fire and there's no getting back, right? You sell the house, you, okay, I'm going to move over here. And then you find yourself alone and, you know, isolated and that's, there's no winning there. So I did, I said, okay, I'm going to devote to this. I'm going to take the year. And I did. So I took a year, and then I was like, okay, let me start looking. It was a year after. Let me start looking. And I looked, and I I found some people. And look, I'm in an amazing relationship now, but I even say so, you know, on the website. It's like, it's not like it was a social media kind of, you know, a a beautiful narrative like you'd see on social media or a Disney movie. There were bumpy parts. I made Mm -hmm. mistakes. I learned this stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but I I did wait the year and then I started looking and I I made some wonderful friends. I really did. I've met some incredible people and I'm in an amazing relationship and I'm still in touch with quite a few of the people that I met through the process.
2: Did you use online dating?
1: I did. (laughs) I did. In fact, actually, I help other people through online dating more than anything else because I equate online dating to hardware stores. So if you don't know what you're looking for, it's like you say, okay, I need a deck. Great. You go to the hardware store. They don't sell pre-made decks. You'll find everything you need, but you have to understand what it is, what your purpose is, what's right for you, what type of house you have, like what's your foundation. You have to understand what you're looking for before you can just run out and go, Great, let me make me a bio and, you know, find me somebody. No, you have to understand. It's about clarity of what you're looking for. What do you need? Measure twice, cut once. Well, great. Who's doing the measuring? Because I guarantee you, the hardware store and dating sites certainly aren't. (laughs)
0: No, that's what I was going to ask is which ones did you use and which ones would you recommend now that you've been through the… The gamut. The (laughs)
1: rigmarole, yeah. I will preface this by saying I get no plugs or I get no sponsorship by any of them. (laughs) I had great success with Match. That one worked for me. I tried several, actually, because I was also curious about how the systems worked and the the tech behind it and the psychology and really kind of digging in and breaking the systems down. So there was that. but. The truth is that what dating site you use depends on what you're looking for, and it really is to that point. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you're looking for something. It's kind of like grocery stores, really. I mean, you you want something really organic or whatnot? Yeah, sure. Whole Foods is your place, mm. but you want to go down to the local Price Saver, you know, or you know, Price Chopper. Sure, you're not going to find as much organic. That's that's not their specialty. But they'll ha- you'll find your TV dinners.
0: Yeah, cough tender, cough. Yeah, yeah no, right. I think.
1: <laughs> but go where your people are yes
0: so what kind of drew you i guess i think this kind of self-evident but what drew you to helping other widowers start dating and how did the widower's wingman
1: get started the widower's wingman started with a conversation i was having a conversation with a very good friend named deb and she i said i love what i'm doing now but people don't get it. They don't value it as much. The people who who I work with valued it a great deal, but it was very difficult to get people to get the concept really well. And so she was like, yeah, but I was like, I could be having more of an impact. And she kind of led me to the, yeah, but you have such a rich array of life experience. Why aren't you leveraging that? And all of a sudden I was kind of like, you know, I've been through something that people don't talk about, that we don't talk about, that society doesn't talk about because we have these very funny views about death." And life after death and the widows and widowers are not ignored, but once it's over, people go back to their lives and we're kind of, you know, left to figure it out. And so I started looking at resources for widowers and there are, thank goodness, there's like Fred Colby and Widower's Journey, Widower to Widower, uh, Herb Knoll who wrote The Widower's Journey. They're wonderful resources out there for widowed men, but they all kind of hit dating and they kind of skirt over it. Mm. Like, yeah, yeah, just get on a dating site and it'll be fine. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because like,
0: seems like there's some unique experiences there. Like, how do you bring it up? How do you, you know, things that other people don't have to deal with, you know? And
1: here's something else. Like, uh, to your point right there, it's not just about that experience, but your insecurities. First of all, if you have any insecurities around your relationship, believe me, the death of your spouse does not help any. Mm. Because... Anything that's unresolved is still unresolved, and now you don't have the person with whom to resolve it, right? So there's that. Whatever insecurities you have around who you are or your appearance or health issues or anything like that are now so much bigger than they were because you had somebody who accepted it, and now all of a sudden it's just this huge mountainous thing in front of you. So how do you deal with that? Now you've got to deal with all of that too.
0: Yeah. And it's hard enough just being, you know, dating in general or even navigating the apps. I mean, it's like, there are so many pages and stuff that that basically kind of try to tell you how to date as just for me personally, even as a divorce, somebody that went through a divorce, it was kind of like, and has kids, when is it okay to bring up this? And when is it, you know, okay to be like, we might have to deal with some drama at some point. Like, you know, the things that are kind of stuff that you get insecure about that as in addition to the things you're already
1: insecure about. Exactly. So it's just compounded. <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest. And the reason that I went with the Widowers Wingman is because a wingman is somebody who has your back throughout the entire whatever it is mission process. And that's what I do. And it's a matter of if you've got insecurities, let's talk about that plan when to address, how to address, what is it? Is it as big for you as it is for them? And, you know, to address all of it, all of it from insecurity through clarity, through the process. And,
2: I mean, it's a niche for sure. I mean, it is a niche market. And did you find that there was like like high demand for that?
1: There is demand. And the trick is that, first of all, people are very skeptical, to be fair. And also too, widowed men tend to recede We don't tend to get, you know, oh, now my life has changed. I don't get more social. We tend to kind of self-isolate. And that's part of a larger trend, which I could do a whole podcast about, anyhow, (laughs) of Boys and Men by Richard Reeves, if you really want to get into that topic, is spectacular. But the idea that men kind of isolate and trying to fix the problem, drown it out, you know, because of some of the masculinity, of the toxic masculinity around in our society, it's a matter of I have to reach the people who reach them. That's the catch to this. And but the people who I do work with are wildly satisfied. Like I really do get great results because I'm it really is about them and it's it's not about, you know, okay, let's do a session. It's no, no, we have a goal, we know where we're going, let's get you there.
0: Yeah. What do you find is kind of of all the people that you coach is maybe the biggest obstacle or hurdle that they have as far as getting back into dating, being in the dating pool. Do you see any
1: themes there? there's one thing heads above bar none is clarity. Mm. What does a good relationship look like? And what characteristics, what traits, what do I not just want, but need and really focusing it down because we have this terrible habit now because let's be honest, our society is, we've gone to a society of Uber eats and Amazon and everything on demand on delivery Mm. as you like it. Let's go. And you don't want to go into a date as a job interview because you wouldn't want to have somebody there with a checklist and going, so do you like this? Do you like this? Do you like this? Do you like, mm-hmm. oh, no, okay, goodbye. The date's over. It's like, no, that's, you miss out on some wonderful opportunities to meet some people who could challenge you in ways that you need or that can you know, elevate your experience. And that's important. We do need that in our companionship and in that connection. So it's a matter of getting really clear on What are your deal breakers? Like, what is a deal breaker and what really is your deal breakers? And for some people, like, let's say smoking. Some people smoking is an absolute, like, hell no. Yeah, That's okay.
2: So you help them define their non-negotiables and their deal breakers, so to speak. And then you you go from
1: there. Again, dealing with those insecurities. What Mm -hmm. are you insecure about and how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that proactively? How do we get way ahead of this? How do we, what are you looking for? So when you go on the dating sites, instead of trying to find somebody else, it's not a yellow pages. You're standing out as who you are and saying, this is me and I'm looking for somebody like this. And people will identify themselves in that. They'll see that. And when you stand out the right way, I guarantee you'll get less responses, but much higher quality ones.
2: Right. How specifically do you help other widowers get back out there? I mean, what are the steps?
1: So I work everything one-on-one. Everything is one-on-one, start to finish. And the steps are making sure that you're ready, getting clear on what a good relationship looks like, what you're looking for, gaining closure so that you can kind of defer that guilt or you can say, I don't need to feel guilt around this. What are you feeling guilty about? What's holding you back? Let's deal with that. Put that to bed. Close that chapter out. Let's open a fresh chapter. This is a new story. This is a new part of your story. You are who you are because of all this. Let's take all of that, figure out who you are now, who you've become, what your strengths are, what are you insecure about, how do we deal with that, and let's move forward with intention with that.
2: And that can be difficult for a lot of people, I can imagine, to like try to get through that part of the grief, to be able to allow yourself to feel again, to you know have that spark with somebody again, because... I mean, I can imagine for a lot of widowers, they probably feel like they're cheating on their wives who have passed or they, you know, that they saw this life with this one person or they also, you know, I can imagine that when they go to date these people, these women, that they, it's got to be difficult for them to not bring that to the relationship, which is probably why you're like, you got to put that to bed. You got to close that chapter because you don't want to sit there at dinner talking about your wife who's passed the whole time to this new person who might be your future partner.
0: Or compare them, I feel like.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Right? Big time. Big time. Because no one will be your ex-wife. No one. You know, she was special in her own right, but there there are other people out there that could potentially help, you know, fulfill your dream of being a you know good husband.
1: <laughs> the other thing is that, let's be fair, I am not the person I was when I met Sam. I am not the person I was when she died. I have evolved a lot in those years since she passed away. In, you know, she passed away in October 2018. I have changed a lot. And I'd like to think mostly for the better. I think my partner would agree. <laughs> you know, it's going to be two years in August. So you know, that's going very well. But the fact is, is that it's really big that you, and you mentioned something very important, Todd, about it's not just about the fact that you've lost them, but you've also lost all the expectations you had about the life with them.
2: Yes. You have to grieve.
1: Yep. Right. And that's what you have to grieve, because grieving isn't for the person who's gone. Grieving is mm. for us. Right? Yeah. So that's it. And it's a matter of, okay, now can I put those expectations? Can I, can I resolve that for myself? And now can I reimagine a new life? Can I reimagine better? And we got to get away from this whole, like, I call it the myth of the one. But I mean, let's be honest, all our stories, Star Wars or Harry Potter, or all of this, most of the stories in popular culture are about the chosen one, the one of prophecy. And the most important part of that is it's not you. Mm. And we're made to feel bad. Yeah. That's bull. <sighs> Anybody who's made it anywhere does so because we come together. So let's come together. Let's make this happen. Let's, you know, you are good. You are worthy. You, you deserve this. Let's make yeah. it happen.
0: Yeah. So how do you kind of get people to understand, kind of figure out who they are, you know, after this loss and what they're going to bring to the relationship? I mean, is it, is it just a conversation? Is it a test? Like, what, what exactly are some of your methods there? Because I imagine that that's a pretty complex
1: concept. I use different techniques for different people. Okay. I think Albert Einstein said it best when he said, I can't teach anybody anything. I can merely create the environment in which my students will learn. Mm. But I think it's about helping people find the examples in their life that support the fact that they are great, all the good parts. What was not so great in your marriage? Because every, even with Sam, we had our troubles, we had a great relationship, but we had our points of, you know, our points of friction. What were those points of friction? what do you want to change? What can you do better? And who are you now that it really is about this process of evolution and who are you now and what are you bringing now and how can you be better? And if you're better, can you only imagine what what kind of partner would want somebody like that? Yeah, right. for sure.
2: But they have to do the work, right? That you can't, oh, yes. you can't rush that if, you know, if they want to get out there and start dating and they're like, but they're still in the depths of grief. I mean, how do you, do you say we're going to have to, this is going to take a minute, okay?
1: I'll be the first to say it. And I'll be the first to say, if it's, I know what my capacity is. I know what I can help with. And if I need help, I will ask for it. If they Mm -hmm. need help that I can't deliver, I will arrange for that. Okay. Like, I want to make sure that people are. Do- I'm not about just doing this. I'm not about doing it. Uh, just doing it. I'm about doing it right. Right. And I have, like, I have met wonderful people who are either other coaches or therapists or lawyers and whatever you're dealing with. But let's make sure that we can get the road right, you know, or at least get ourselves ready to be able to handle that road mm-hmm. for sure.
0: So I guess personally, for you, kind of bringing this back to you, I know that we, you know all this work that you do with other people is, is amazing, and I, every person has kind of their own idea of what a perfect relationship looks like. What do you believe a good relationship looks like after loss, and do you feel like your standards are higher after that?
1: I think that my standards are they're neither higher nor lower. They are, my standards are that I am out for connection. It's not about my partner is is incredible in all the right ways. And we speak each other's love languages. We really connect well there. We are supportive of each other. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But I think ultimately the foundation for anything good comes to heard, respected and valued. And yes, you can find love in that but heard respected and valued are by far i think the most universal traits and as long as both partners are heard respected and valued or feel heard respected and valued that it makes such an enormous difference for sure i think that's something that should everybody
0: should take to heart as a whole because heard you know,
2: respected and valued yeah
0: yeah and I, that's, I think we've kind of covered it, but the reason I ask about the higher standards is is there is that tendency to kind of compare and you didn't have some kind of like cataclysmic breakup or something. You're not demonizing that person anymore, your ex, you know, it's not your ex, it's still your wife that, that passed away. So, you know, it just, I was curious if it was. Definitely. Because I mean, I think there's lots of differences between just some people say divorcing its own loss, but there's so many differences between the two. And, you know, I'd say that as far as with divorce, you, you are kind of like, okay, now I know what I don't want. So I'd imagine it'd be a little harder when you've got some shoes to fill. And, and I guess part of it is getting over that idea. <laughs>
1: It's hugely important that you you don't go in for the comparison either because, again, you are different. Here's something that's really interesting. I've mentioned this on other podcasts, but it is true. My partner and I, had we met six months earlier or a year earlier, it wouldn't have been the right time. We wouldn't have fit. The circumstances were important too. And it was the point she's at in her life and the point I'm at in my development in my life and her development in her life that really – allowed us to have so much more synergy, so much more connection. And now we're walking, you know, she has her path, I have my path, but we walk together, right? And she's wildly supportive of me and I'm wildly supportive of her. And that makes everything so much easier Easier and, and just wonderful to live. It it really adds to life.
2: Well, Richard, can you expand on that a little bit? Because like, what is it like to be in a new relationship post-loss? And do you ever worry about experiencing loss again? Like, do you get I'm sure there's a part of you that's like, well, I found this, I don't want this taken away as well.
1: I think you bring up a fantastic point. I wouldn't want it taken away. But the other thing that I know from the experience that I have had is whether I want it to be taken away or not things are going to happen. Life in the universe kind of throws things at us and there's no getting around it. And uh, I was having a great conversation with my mom because we do have a wonderful relationship. And I was saying at one point, I was like, you know, people get frustrated in traffic or on the bus and you can see them getting nerved up. No matter how much you get nerved up and angry and, and upset, It's not going to change the traffic patterns. It's not going to make the bus go any faster. It won't change anything aside from changing you. And if we want to really get into the neurological level, you're releasing excessive amounts of cortisol into your system for no gain. In fact, if anything, you're damaging your system for nothing. And the fact is, is that this is part of living with intention. It's a matter of, I will plan for the future, but I will live the most out of this day that I can. We all hear carpe diem, and it's almost a cliche, but for goodness sake, say it more often, embrace it. Medieval monks used to greet each other with the phrase memento mori. It basically means remember your death. You have limited amount of time. You can actually go online and buy memento mori calendars now, where every day or every week you mark off a week of your life, and that's less life that you potentially have to live. It gets you real clear on, hey, what's important, and how do we get... what's important. So in the same conversation with my mom, I said, look, I could spend all my time, you know, slaving at this business and just, you know, I'll get together with her later. I'll get together with friends later. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk, hustle, 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 you know, up at five, down at 10, you know, go, 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 you know, no, stay up till 2am, go, go. I could do that and miss out on the wonderful experiences with my partner, my family, my friends. Am I serious about the business? Absolutely. But am I going to break myself? Am I going to miss out on those critical moments where I don't know how much time I have left with anyone? No. Yeah. No. I know my priorities.
0: Well, that's, I think, just a great point all around. I think every person should to take heart. I'm going to look up that calendar because I don't know if it, it, I'm hoping it will spark, you know, good things and not just fear and <laughs> anxiety because I tend to
1: go that way. I've got an exercise for you, actually. Okay, all right. What is it? It's crazy, but I swear it's amazing. I want you to take one week and work this out, but you write the eulogy you would like to have said about you. Wow. You write the story from the end, and by doing that, you're future-pacing yourself. You're saying, this is what I want, and it becomes very clear what's important because the eulogy can't be that long, right? What's so important that it would be the eulogy you want to have and work backwards? How do I get to there? I love that. I really love that. Oh, it'll creep you out while you're doing it. but
0: No, but I like that. That's like, I guess, the morbidity that I can embrace in life of, you know, it's a different way of doing it, but it's awesome.
2: It's almost like bringing to fruition what you want your legacy to be and how do I get to that point? Yes. What do I want to leave behind for my family and friends, like, how do I want to be remembered? You know, which will probably help a lot of people curve their behavior.
0: Yes. Yeah. So everybody out there, go write your eulogy. Go write
2: your eulogy. But and- I will definitely be doing this because I think
0: that that in general is very helpful. So, you know, I think you've just dropped so many awesome nuggets of wisdom throughout this podcast. We're not going to take up the, your entire day with, with everything, but, you know, this is Something that's near and dear to my heart, just because my, my brother also lost his wife to a cancer when she was 32, and I think it's something that isn't talked about, you know a lot, and I'm just grateful that you are helping people out there. And you know, I th- it seems like a lot of good advice that could apply to people that haven't lost anybody either. So you know, I think for this, you're just doing great things. But before we let you go, we do have a tradition on this show, which is called "The Question of the Day."
1: So, I'm ready. Of <laughs> it's course, <magic. laughs> it's a magical question. <laughs> so,
0: you know, we got to ask this so, to get away from some of the deeper things so that you keep that in mind. But would you rather have everyone around you be able to read your thoughts or be able to read the thoughts of everyone around you?
1: I think I'd rather have everybody be able to read mine. Really? Yeah. Why? There's a song by Thomas Smith that beautifully illustrates that telepathy cannot necessarily be to your advantage. Mm. (laughs) It Mm -hmm. can be quite chaotic. The fact is that I love collecting perceptions. I do. I will ask for feedback relentlessly because I realize that my perspective is not the norm. And I'm always looking for other people's viewpoints. And I love collecting that. I love seeing how other people see. But I really have no problem with people going, yep, go ahead, pick my brain. Mm, (laughs) Open book, let's go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: But you don't necessarily want to hear the unsolicited thoughts that may come randomly.
1: You know, to that point, there's actually something, I I actually mentioned this in one of my YouTube videos, but there's the point of view gun in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm, Yes. God, I want to see that. Yeah, I want to see that. I want that mass produced. I want everybody to be right. Points of view all around. Let's have some fun.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, we can't thank you enough for coming on here. We have, Seriously. I mean, this is just, I think, helpful for people of all walks of life. So, you know, we, we are grateful for your time and we, you know, would love to have you on again.
1: I would be honored. It would be my privilege.
0: I can give you an update on my eulogy where I'm going, you know, how things are are working with that, how far (laughs) I've come. But yeah, again, thank you so much for coming on.
2: Agreed. Thank you.
0: Thank you guys for having me, both of you. Awesome. We'll have a wonderful rest of your day. All right. What'd you think?
2: Oh, he's just great. He's got a lot of great points. I love what he said about in a relationship, you need to feel heard, respected, and valued. That was the one thing I majorly took away for myself. And then we should also talk about, you know, writing your own eulogy. Like Yeah. When I mean, you when he gave you that exercise.
0: Uh, you know, I really, I'm super pumped. I think I'm going to, I mean, I am going to do it. But like in my head, I started like almost started doing it already and it was like, Well, Laura Patrick, who died on her vineyard in Italy, (laughs) was like, I already know where I need to go. This is what needs to happen. So
2: (laughs) on her vineyard, (laughs) just somewhere on the vineyard near the grapes.
0: She was, (laughs) she was drinking wine, just picking grapes at the same time on her vineyard in Italy. (laughs) But also remembered for her, you know, fond podcast episodes that everybody treasures and values and is one of Grammys. So yeah, there are a lot of things I still want to accomplish. But I just I think he's great. I think that overall it is something that people don't really talk about. And
2: no, and it's such a niche thing, you know, to be a widower's wingman, you know, like you never think about that. But they I can imagine there's there's so many men out there and women who lose their partner and they just it's hard to deal with that and then to get back out there. And I love to get that you back brought out up the fact. Yeah, I love that you brought up the comparison thing. And he, and he was like, well, you can't do that. You can't compare. Yeah. The partner who you still, you're still in love with that partner. That love doesn't leave you. Yeah. But you have to close that chapter and make room for a new energy in your life.
0: Yeah. Because I mean, at the, like that point. Like I kind of brought up, it's not like you can demonize your ex and be right. like, you know, this is – that's not what I want. It's almost like I guess you just – like in everything in life, you should take away what the good things about it were and see it realistically. I think that was like kind of a good point that he made that, you know, things – no matter what, it's not like – they didn't have any problems in their marriage and exactly. all of that. So I just thought that it was a lot of good food for thought. And honestly, I think good advice for anybody that's dating, period. Like be, yeah. you know, live live your life with intention and find somebody else who does too. And that right. thinks that this time right now that we have is what's the most important. And I think it was a really good reminder of that because I think it's easy to forget and I, I may look into the calendar. I'm telling you, I think the calendar might freak me out more than than anything else, but
2: that calendar would freak me out. Oh, just lost another week.
0: <laughs> yeah, there it goes. But then well, again- I guess if
2: you look at it, if you look at it like, well, if I only have this much time left, what do I want to do with it? Exactly. And it, it kind of makes your mortality. Very, very, comes straight to the forefront.
0: Yeah. How well, long I mean, is this going to last? Kind of one of the reasons this past week I was like, we're not going to release a podcast this week because it's not worth my sanity this with no. Memorial Day weekend and having my kids and all of it was like...
2: Listen, when you co-host a trauma podcast and you feel that getting one out there is going to cause more trauma, mm-hmm. let's not. Let's take a mental health week. You let's know. try to
0: learn from some of the things that we hear <laughs> exactly. on here. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So
2: exactly. trying
0: to practice what we preach over here, guys. That's just what exactly. we're all about.
2: So Well, Richard Strother really, really you know, brought it today and really, you know, he definitely... It's a very unique niche field that he's in now but i'm glad that he is at least you know sparking conversation about when you lose your wife or you lose your husband you know you need but i think he's targeted more men that have lost their partner their their wife
0: and i was thinking about this i was like why wouldn't he do both but i think that women in general are more open to talking about this kind of thing so i bet you there's more
2: well he remember he he touched very quickly on the fact that he's you know, kind of trying to fight toxic masculinity and that he's trying to pull that away from the guys that he works with, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're able to talk about it. You know, you're in pain. It's okay yeah. to talk about it.
0: But I think probably women are a little bit more inclined to like go into therapy after that. And for sure. And so they have that. Because I've said this many
2: times on this podcast, women are smarter than men. Yeah. It's, it just it's is what it is. It's unfortunate
0: truth, guys. It's Sorry. Just, it's, it but, just is you know, what it is. The more wisdom we spread... We are closing the gap, <laughs> you know? So, Todd, would you rather have everyone around you be able to read your thoughts or be able to read the thoughts of everyone around you?
2: I want to read everyone else's thoughts. I don't want anybody knowing what, what's going on in my brain. I
0: feel the same. I'm just like...
2: I was shocked when he said that, but I, I, know. You know, I, I understand his reasoning. Maybe it would be better to be able to live so honestly and yeah. not, not worry about what people are thinking because if you if you live with that... You know, I forgot what the the term he used, but it's where you, yeah, yeah, you're truthful with everything.
1: Yeah, not that I'm not
2: truthful, but just like sometimes the truth
1: hurts.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like when he was saying, like like you know, trying to be truthful without hurting somebody's feelings, it's like, well, that's not where my brain is always at. You know, it's at least in the moment I can't control like a snap, like oh man could have picked a better pair of shorts today. I don't know. There's a lot worse (laughs) thoughts, but that one seemed like the only one I wanted to share at this moment. And this is why I would want my, my mind is mine. Exactly. (laughs) And it's the only place that I can escape to. So
2: it would also help me navigate humans in general. That's true. If if you can hear someone, if I'm walking up and they're like, Oh, this bitch, you know, (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. Though, and I'm turning the corner. Well, I think it's it's yes, it would be hurtful at the beginning, but then when you realize, oh, I can, I can weed weed out the crap around. You know, I
0: guess you get used to it. You'd be like, okay, all those people, you know, everybody thinks weirdly or whatever, or has those snap judgments, and then they get over it, whatever. But yeah, I think it would, if given the choice, most certainly would rather hear everybody else's crazy thoughts and then i agree
2: completely agree (laughs) listen it is always great to see you i'm glad we got to have richard strother on today and i hope you're gonna have the most fabulous week we've got more podcasts coming up this week we
0: do we do this is a busy week so it's exciting Mm -hmm. and as usual i love seeing you as well and i think i'll see you tomorrow so i will it's perfect (laughs) all right
2: (laughs) all right honey bye bye